0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of Center Ed Teaching. As always, I'm your guide and facilitator, Matt Kautz. And today, I'm joined by my indomitable colleagues, Roberta Langer-Kang and Christina. Christina Romeo Compton. And before we get into the thick of today's podcast, I just want to clarify a few housekeeping things. First, you can find the links to the important resources from our last discussion in the show notes. Secondarily, we referenced our website, but we actually didn't give the link. (laughs) So the link is www.cpet.tc.columbia.edu. And then finally, the podcast is in its infancy. So if you have any comments or feedback, um, we would love to hear them and subscribe, please. Um, So today we're continuing a conversation we started in the last podcast, but that we didn't have time to completely cover in the depth that we needed to. We talked about common core and ways to use the standards, but what we didn't talk about is how that looks different in different disciplines. So that's really where we want to focus today. Um, But before we get started, Christina, since this is your first time, I think it'd be helpful for you to introduce yourself to the audience. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit about your teaching and coaching experience uh, and your role at CPET?
1: Sure. Well, thanks, Matt. (laughs) Um, Again, my name is Christina Romeo Compton. Um, I have an elementary background. I taught in Flatbush, Brooklyn for six years um, before uh, transitioning to Teachers College. Um, And what really prompted that transition was um, a interest to specialize in literacy. I quickly learned that I had a passion for teaching, reading, and writing, and wanted to um, further that. And in elementary school, for those of you elementary school teachers listening, you teach everything. Um, So uh, I was really interested in um, furthering myself um, in the teaching of reading and writing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I applied to Teachers College and was fortunate enough to be accepted um, and was welcomed with open arms into the CPAC community um, as a literacy coach, um, and I have sort of climbed up the ranks through um, opportunities that presented themselves um, and have been coaching now for six years, mostly in literacy, um, but also, which we'll sort of get into in a little bit, um, this idea of literacy across the disciplines, um, and have been very fortunate to be a part of the CPET team. Yeah, we are fortunate to have you here. Thanks.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy that you're here um, for this discussion. So I think you probably have dealt more with this than Roberta and I have, but to give us a common language to kind of start with this, I want to talk about how uh, the New York City Department of Education kind of defines disciplinary literacy. And according to their website, it's best defined as the typical ways of thinking, doing, speaking, writing, and representing within the context of a given discipline or content area. So in other words, right, disciplinary literacy means developing the skills, vocabulary, and dispositions that are necessary to be successful in specific fields. But, I mean, that basic definition really only takes us so far. So can you maybe build on that idea?
1: Sure. Um, And I think, yeah, just to to reiterate that a little bit, I think that this is something that um, has been put forth um, more recently by the New York City Department of Education um, and Carmen Farina as the chancellor. And it's sort of, I don't want to say that it's in an, its infancy because it's definitely been something that um, people in education have been talking about, but it's sort of the first time that we're seeing it put out there mm-hmm. and named mm-hmm. um, and, you know, literature um, being shared with, with teachers and educators to familiarize themselves with it more. Um, And to really kind of understand what it might mean for their teaching. Um, I
2: think it's interesting because disciplinary literacy might feel a little bit new, and it also seems like a contradiction to Mm -hmm. how we've been talking about literacy across content areas has been a really important conversation topic uh, across schools for a while this idea like you know literacy across the content areas or reading across mm-hmm. the content areas or writing across the content areas that everybody should be a reading teacher or everybody should be a writing teacher and disciplinary literacy and that's you know like reading and writing is the same in every discipline and then disciplinary literacy comes out and says no 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 it's different mm-hmm. right it, and and I think it's important to sort of position both of those initiatives not as being opposites but be, as rather as being in a sequence so there that 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 there are sets of foundational skills in Mm -hmm. reading, writing, listening, and speaking that kids need to have that will impact their understanding and their comprehension across all content areas. Mm -hmm. And then we get to a certain point where once you have built... Some the capacity. Basic in that area. and the intermediate, right? right. Mm-hmm. That then the discipline, reading within a specific discipline, then becomes more nuanced. And those sort of basic mm-hmm. foundational skills are no longer sufficient to sort of read in depth in those areas.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so I think where you're going with this is something that we need to pause and talk about mm-hmm. um, for our listeners is specifically the relationship between disciplinary literacy and common core. Right. Because yeah. I think that's been one of the big. Um, Changes that has really put disciplinary literacy at the front. So, how do we see the relationship between Common Core and disciplinary literacy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, under the Common Core, I mean, if you if you look at actually what the what kind of standards we have under the Common right. Core, um, there are only ELA and math. Um, there is no, there are no standards for science. There are no standards for history. Right. That the idea content being standards. content standards. Right. right. The idea being that. You are um, incorporating different content um, within um, the ELA standards, Mm -hmm. right? And the emphasis sort of shifting more towards skills, right? And this idea of um, supporting students in accessing and communicating in different with different content using particularly particular literacy skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's really been a shift towards more of this, as you were saying before, like this being able to argue, to read, to write, to listen, to speak um, in these different disciplines. And I think it becomes even more important as you move up, as students move up into the grades and they're introduced to more complex texts. They're being asked to look at technical texts Mm -hmm. um, and to create arguments Mm -hmm. and craft arguments about these. So I think the implications and the stakes become a little higher um, as students move up even into high school. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so I, I want to build off um, what that means in particular, contents, but mm-hmm. Roberta, I want to put a question to you because mm-hmm. oh, no. we, <laughs> we've we had a conversation kind of about some of the shifts in Common Core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how does this differ from content standards? Mm-hmm. In essence, what implications does this have for teachers and students? Yeah,
2: so w- one of the things that's really I think elegant about the Common Core standards is that they, they're framed with these anchor standards, again. Mm-hmm. So 10 anchor standards in reading and in writing and in, uh, and, then, and then six mathematical principles.
0: And the speaking and listening standards?
2: Yes, yes. So each of the standards across all content areas are founded by, are so grounded in these anchor standards that sort of holds place, mm-hmm. right? And they're generalized because they're not associated with a particular grade level or a particular content area, but it's this sort of aspirational skill that we think people should learn how to, do, should know how to do this thing, to be able to cl- read closely mm-hmm. right? For, for a central idea or purpose, to be able to write an argument uh, using, using evidence and reasons, for example. But then what they do is not only does this, do the standards then break down grade by grade by grade, what does this look like and what is the sequence of skills around that anchor standard, but then also by domain, there is a strand of literacy standards for ELA classrooms there is a strand of literacy standards in social studies mm-hmm. and literacy standards in math and, techni- and in science and technical subjects, mm-hmm. and so then you have this anchor standard, right? That's maybe about like you know uh, use you know can find evidence to support your reasoning, mm-hmm. uh, and and then in when you look at it in science, it's about using evidence from experiments um, to support your hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And when they look at it in social studies, it's about using evidence in primary and secondary sources to establish claims, mm-hmm. right? And so what we see is how the standards within these subject area specific strands actually begin to call out mm-hmm. the discipline specific moves that people mm-hmm. have to make they're all connected by the sort of general overarching standard of you know close reading or analysis or argument or you know whatever the the topic might be but then they are beginning to allude to and mm-hmm. allude to I mean saying explicitly it's a little bit different in science yeah it's a little bit different in social studies it's all this connected to the same anchor but it looks different ways and it evolves in different ways.
0: Yeah. So I and I think we're kind of tiptoeing around mm-hmm. it, but I think this also is a shift for students in that it's empowering them to find knowledge on by themselves mm-hmm. and to create that knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's not this idea that there's a content. There's content that you learn. Right. Th- there is some of that, but also you're going to learn these skills mm-hmm. so that you can find that content yeah. and that you can create that content. And I think there's a. That's really empowering for Mm -hmm. students and kind of democratizing of intelligence. And Mm -hmm.
2: and what you would hope is that it's also empowering for teachers, too. Because and and implementation-wise, we know that it doesn't work out this way all the time. But if you're really adhering just to the standards, then in terms of what I teach, there's extreme freedom. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't get to this topic because I spent more time on that topic or whatever. Like, I, I should have much more freedom to determine the what of what I teach, and these sort of guiding principles about what students should be able to do, um, those what those skills are, that that's where the standards are really focused.
0: And Yeah. So, no, go ahead. Christina, so I want to put yeah. this to you now, because mm-hmm. now we're starting to talk about what this means for teachers. Mm-hmm. So what does this actually mean for teachers in their particular classroom, how they think about planning, how they conduct their classroom, or how they even conceptualize what it means to plan anymore?
1: With disciplinary literacy, right, I think that... Um, there is, and for content area teachers, it becomes a little bit tricky because there's always this tension of, like, I need to teach content. I need mm-hmm. to teach content. But there is, and with disciplinary literacy, I think there is an emphasis on more of the skills. So it sort of means that, um, especially for teachers um, in at the high school levels, right, to really be thinking about, like, what are those literacies mm-hmm. that I think are specific to my discipline, mm-hmm. right? So it's science, te- science teachers thinking about like, yes, what do most scientists do, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if we're really thinking about like what the common core at its, I think at its um, core, literally, <laughs> is trying to, um, to put forward is this idea of preparing for college and career, right? So as we are thinking about like, what do scientists really do in the field, mm-hmm. right? I mean, 80% of it Is reading and writing. Yes. Right? So it's because the content and the facts and the theories are always going to change. Mm -hmm. Right? But if I have specific skills, Um, or strategies, or even habits of practice Mm -hmm. that I can teach my students to access this content Mm -hmm. and then communicate this content, right? I think that we're positioning them to to really be successful in what we think makes effective or, like, um, results in effective scientific knowledge or Mm -hmm. um, performance and that kind of a thing.
0: So I think we can build on that um, for kind of the next step. But what I'm hearing you say is the first thing a teacher does is say what does it mean to be a scientist Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be an -hmm. an historian Mm -hmm. right what does it mean to be um an english student Mm -hmm. and so
2: or a reader or a writer (laughs) or a journalist right yeah
0: yeah so i guess can we maybe just dabble on kind of the four core subjects Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. a second about what we maybe think just what dispositions or skills um are needed in mm-hmm. those particular contents.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that again, I I'm not a science teacher, mm-hmm. um, but I have, um, and I'll say fortunate. I've been fortunate enough to um, work with science teachers and social studies teachers to think about what are the literacies, what does literacy look mm-hmm. like in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know for, and I'll let Roberta speak to the to the ELA teachers um, because I'm, she has a little bit more of the secondary. Um, high school expertise mm-hmm. than I do, but um, so like in terms of science, if we're thinking about, I mean, and I've done a workshop with teachers where I ask them to say in, in groups with mm-hmm. their with their discipline um, peers, mm-hmm. right? Um, Is to think about like what are those literacy practices, right? So with, with in science, you're talking about like. The inquiry you're talking about, like scientific processes, right, right. you're talking about the scientific um,
2: method, right? Observe, right? The observe
1: um, the reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and a lot of it is like interpreting displays, mm-hmm. um, reading with precision, mm-hmm. right? Like which differs from reading um, a piece of literature or reading a poem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in math, there's a lot of similarities with math and science, and I think you know we can sort of uh, understand why that might be, mm-hmm. um, but. Um yeah, I mean, I think again, this idea of um, really putting um, t- attention to all of the the details within a word problem yeah. or a science problem, because every single word is important.
2: Well, and if, if building on that, the idea that when I go as a scientist, when I go to read a text, right or, and my text might be a table or a chart,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, when I read that, I'm not considering, the, the the cultural or political or economic factors Correct. that brought you know this that that brought the results that felt felt fed into this chart. I, I really need to be paying attention <clears throat> to what are the numbers and what are the calibrations and and how did this experiment go? And I'm really looking at the facts and reading through the details there. Right. Whereas when I'm an when I'm a, a historian mm-hmm. and I'm looking at. Uh, a primary source document i absolutely have to be considering the context and the culture mm-hmm. under which mm-hmm. that document was written the context right? yeah right and and the way that that i go that i approach that text about is that, am i reading this literally or am i reading this figuratively am i reading it for the big picture or am i reading it for very very specific, specific details, details? Yep. am i reading it to put my own opinion in it or am i reading it to extract information mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. All across all content areas, we're reading with criticality, right? We're Mm -hmm. reading with some level of analysis. We're reading with some level of, like, I have to comprehend and understand basically what it is that I'm reading. But many of the tools that I use are some of the things that we would would sort of go, like, well, of course – Right, that, that seemed to be common sense. In one discipline are far, far, far from the forefront, like far, far away from anything that you would do um, in another discipline. And recognizing that, yes, while there are similarities around reading and mm-hmm. reading across mm-hmm. the disciplines, yeah. there are sp- domain-specific moves that, uh, that kids have to make.
0: Yeah, so you guys are really talking about it in this conceptual sense so mm-hmm. I just want to give maybe some concrete examples to mm-hmm. see if maybe that'll help teachers and you can tell me where's the thinking right on that, where is mm-hmm. it wrong. Um, so for science, I'm thinking if you're you're reading a lab report, mm-hmm. if you're reading it as a scientist, you're not just reading it for meaning. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to check the data for its reliability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand what that means when you yeah. look at those charts. What is a p-value? Right. Um, for instance, in a social studies class, mm-hmm. when you're looking at a primary source document, mm-hmm. you're not just looking at it for what it says in what political climate does Correct. this occur right. what is the political context. bias yeah. right and that's a disposition that's really important right. um, to that discipline so is that kind of what yes. we're talking that's about exactly here yes that's exactly right
1: that's exactly and there are specific things like and again there are skills yes but i think that the word that you're using dispositions is mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. right because ideally the acquisition of all of these different skills will result in these habits of practice mm-hmm. that students can utilize and access whenever they are in that discipline.
2: I wanted to build on on that because we're talking about what would be helpful to teachers, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I think that many teachers, at least in the secondary level, mm-hmm. I think a good deal in the in the elementary level as well. But there is a field that you have specialized in. We went to college and undergrad, yeah. and you focused on a specialty. And it, and because of all of that schooling and all that education and, and, and sort of your relative success in that education, mm-hmm. having finished and now have a job where you're teaching other people to do that, a lot of these skills are so embedded in mm-hmm. just sort of like your natural, your natural way of looking at the world and your natural way of reading, your natural way of sort of considering your field. And it's sort of like, you know, the metaphor that um, there, there's a pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Come on now. Okay. Don't go
0: in the pond. <laughs> so there's a pond and
2: there's fish swinging around in the pond and there's a frog sitting on the rock. And the, the frog says to the fish, like, how's the water? And the fish says, what well, water? Right. right. Because the fish is always in the water. And so it doesn't necessarily even recognize it or acknowledge it anymore. Okay. That when you're embedded and you're seeped in history and you're always looking at everything from the context of was like, well, who was that written by and when was it written right. and what was the culture <laughs> what was happening at that time? And I use all of that as a lens to un- interpret and understand the the current content that i'm reading th- you can forget that you do that and right. i think it's really important yes. for teachers to be considering and asking this question like well what does it mean to read and write in my discipline and and not assume that our kids yeah. automatically have that same fr- frame of mind right so we're swimming around in the pond and our kids are on the are you know are they're not frogs so I'm yeah, stop hopefully. with that here. <laughs> but right? But our our kids are sitting around the pond and they're not quite sure what it is necessarily that we're talking about or how to do all the moves that we're doing. Right. And it's really easy to us, it's really simple to us yes. because it's so ingrained in in our worldview. But we need to probably, if we can take a step back, and become more explicit with our kids about what it is that, how am I going about reading this? How am I interpreting this? What are the things that I look at? And it can feel somewhat contrived to say, as a historian, Mm -hmm. I always look to the social, political, and economic factors that were around when this document was created. So Mm -hmm. let's chart what that is before we go about reading it. That can feel contrived, but it's really valuable yes. for kids because that's how they're going to learn to embed. But it's also how they're going to learn to differentiate between the reading that they do in yes. English and the and reading that they do 10 minutes later in science and the reading mm-hmm. they do 10 minutes later in social studies.
1: Right, and I think building on that, I think what, you know, speaking uh, to your point, Matt, about like what teachers, what kind of shifts this this um, implies for teachers is this idea that... Um, they are sort of the insider, right? Or they are s- sort of the expert in their discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And they are now trying to um, support their students mm-hmm. in becoming ins- insiders mm-hmm. into that discipline, mm-hmm. right? And to sort of unlock the codes, That's right. right, that are, um, you know, reflected in, in some of the text, which it oftentimes can feel like codes that, mm-hmm. like, they don't understand, mm-hmm. right? And um, it can no longer... I mean, I think really what... Um, is at the heart of disciplinary literacy as well, is this idea that, like, all skills don't transfer, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's we can't just have the ELA teacher mm-hmm. be responsible for the teaching of the reading and writing and the science and the math teachers and the, and the history teachers be the, the teachers of content, mm-hmm. right? Because um, there are these very nuanced differences.
2: And I think um, that, that yeah. because the, the language has either been everybody has to always teach reading and writing, and that reading and writing is the same across content areas, right? Writing right. across the curriculum is a school-wide initiative mm-hmm. where we all do the same thing. And that, there is a time and a place for that. That's a valuable endeavor, mm-hmm. right? Especially when you're working with, with a, a community of struggling readers and writers, where mm-hmm. we're still working on building those foundational skills of being able to decode and comprehend on, le- on grade level text. So there's absolutely a place for that. But when we move beyond that mm-hmm. place, and we're all ready to, to begin for this disciplinary literacy pathway. It's important to, to not say, like, well, if the English teacher is responsible for all of the reading and writing and everyone else is responsible for content, the English teacher is going to teach how to read and write in English. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? With and, literature. And that is somewhere. not going to translate to how to read and write in science or how to read and write in social studies. And and so because the bulk of all of those content areas are about reading and writing mm-hmm. and listening and speaking, but within a smaller genre of texts mm-hmm. with scientific texts. You know, any science course could be also renamed reading and writing informational and persuasive yes. texts in science. Yes. Yeah. Like reading yes. and writing in history. Right. right. Reading and writing historical documents, a.k.a. history. Well, right.
0: And to what you're saying, too, in a science text, there usually is bias. But the right. way you detect it is right. different than you do in a political speech. Right. right. That's right. part of this different skill. Can you say scale. more about that? Um, well, so I, I'm thinking of, and you know, put it in a current context, the debate on climate change. Right, right. You have this research that comes out that says climate change is a real thing. Uh, carbon dioxide is a huge contributor, and you have uh, research that comes out. Uh, granted, it's a small minority that says climate change is not a thing. Right, the Earth goes through cycles, and so there are arguments mm-hmm. posited there. And you can argue, right, there's a bias because a scientist may frame their argument that climate change exists in a particular way to incite action mm. uh-huh. the same way someone would on the other side. Mm-hmm. But the nuance of that is different than um, Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. right, trying to elicit a particular reaction with mm-hmm. the Gettysburg Address, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And so sorry to like switch gears, but I I think this is a great place to also reference you all to the show notes because Christina has some amazing Mm -hmm. resources because if you're saying to yourself, God, I'm like struggling to think off the top of my head, what are these techniques in my discipline Mm -hmm. uh, that I need to teach in the show notes? We have those by content so you can look through and be like, oh yeah, this is it. And to help guide your planning, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, But now to kind of come backwards, so we started with a teacher's thinking about planning this for the classroom. The first thing they do is identify what...
2: Oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. (laughs) What... (laughs) what? Bring bring us back, Matt. Bring us back. back. Good job, facilitator. (laughs) What what
0: the uh, techniques are particular to that discipline. So I'm a teacher. I've identified those. Yeah. What's my next step?
1: And so I think, yes... um, Bringing those to the forefront, or perhaps even just reminding ourselves mm-hmm. of what those are, um, and then I think also um, when we are going to be looking at a specific text, or we're going to introduce a specific text to, um, to in our class, um, to really kind of analyze that text and think about like what are my implications for teaching here? Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, I need to be teaching them about content. I might need to scaffold the content a little bit, but I might also need to think about how is this text written? How is it organized? How is it structured? Um, And then also thinking about, like, what might be those very specific attributes, um, uh, whether that's um, even just the way that the text is written, right? Like certain vocabulary words, are there a lot of abbreviations? Are there, is punctuation used in a specific way? Um, And be mindful of those um, as we plan for that lesson. Um, and to really support students in, in considering all of those um, as we're engaging in, in a particular content.
0: Yeah, th- and there's a piece that I, that I think I'm hearing, but you're not saying explicitly that I mm-hmm. want to see, like if sure. I'm right, is that, so the teacher has their content. Right. And that's the core of where this is coming from. So instead of the teacher saying, ooh, I'm going to teach this particular technique today, they yes. might be saying, this is the content I'm covering. What in this content can I use to teach that? Um, disciplinary technique
1: Mm -hmm. yes yes what can I teach my students to access this specific content right Um, and to engage with that content in ways that allow them to um, really understand it right Mm -hmm. and to it's this idea too of like uh, we, I, I think you had mentioned this before. Maybe, maybe not. I could be forgetting. But this idea of like knowledge banking versus yeah. knowledge production, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So that it's ideally we're not just saying, okay, memorize these different right. facts, memorize right. these different details. But no, now I, I can engage in conversations right. about mm-hmm. this content. I can write, um, you know, arguments with this, mm-hmm. with using this content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're starting to understand like how knowledge is produced in this discipline rather than just, oh, I'm banking this for the regents exam I have to take, or yeah, right. just to pass this course, right?
2: I think one of the things that's really hard, though, for teachers is, like, how do you do that, right. right? So, that idea of, like, okay, so I look at my text, and I figure out, like, what are the things that my kids need to know about reading in my discipline, and then teach that, right? But, like, I think that that's really, that that is the process, but, but what does yeah. that really look like? And I feel like it's a good point to bring it back to the Common Core who has some, that has some, I sound like such an evangelist. I'm not really. I'm not really, but I do feel like there are some merits here. Ted Cruz Common Core. No, it's not, no. But, What are you going to do
1: if it's uh, off the table? Well, <laughs> it's, it's,
2: I'll, I'll use it the exact same way I use it now, which is as a, as a critical, framework. As, a, as a resource and a framework, right? Yes. But Standard 10, the reading Standard 10, is about that, that students read and write texts uh, on their grade level independently, mm-hmm. Re- read increasingly complex text on their grade level. Mm-hmm. And the Common Core does some interesting work around defining what makes a complex text. And I'm bringing this around to disciplinary literacy in a second. Yeah. But um, there are three ways that the Common Core outlines what makes a text complex. Right. One is quantitative, one is qualitative, and one is the reader, the, the reader and the task Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the quantitative is pretty simple, but com- that, that kind of complexity with the uh, quantitative leveling has absolutely nothing to do with content. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It, it could be, you know, very, very, very basic content or something that's very easy to understand, but just sort of written. But it could also be complete gobbledygook. And and mm-hmm. you'll get a nice little uh, lexile level on like gibberish, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Because it because that algorithm can't read content; it can't read for meaning.
0: Well, right? and I think that's the teachers um, or a lot of ELA teachers I know. Their constant critique that oh my god, Romeo and Juliet yeah. is a fifth grade lexile. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. No, it's not. Right. No, right. yeah. oh, it's not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. right?
2: Or you take something right. like the bluest eye, right? Mm-hmm. Who by Toni Morrison that. Uh, also gets a very low, you know, fifth or sixth grade Lexile, but it, it deals with very, very difficult, yes. complex, and adult themes. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful. It's very easy that we we slip to like, oh, this is an on-level text because of its, because of its numeric ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the there are two other ways that. That the Common Core at least guides us, that common sense also affirms, uh, that we can be thinking about complex texts. And one of them is the qualitative, they mm-hmm. call it measures of text complexity. Mm-hmm. And they outline four aspects of text complexity that I think could be very helpful to teachers across content areas when they're trying to figure out how is it that I get my kids to understand these kinds of texts. Mm-hmm. So they talk about levels of meaning or the purpose. So what is right. this text, what is the intent of this text? Why did the Writer write it. All, all texts are written by someone. So what, what was the purpose mm-hmm. for writing? Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is structure. How is this right. text structured? And then we get into all sorts of fun things around genre. Mm-hmm. Is it a literary te- is it a narrative? Is it fictional or uh, nonfiction? Um, if it's informational, if it's nonfiction, is it informational? is it persuasive? is it is it an advertisement? You know, and then we can get into sort of big genre and sub genre questions. But the difference between reading an, an historical document or an experiment, right? or or de- right. or definitions. Even the genres of a textbook um, are extremely helpful for kids to understand. You know the header and the pictures and the captions and all of those text features that become predictable. The number one thing that people say is the determinants between a text being easy for them to read or difficult for them to read is this idea of familiarity. I know what to... I I understand it because I'm familiar with Mm -hmm. this genre. And in order to become familiar with it, we need to break it down for people. Um, The third one is language, uh, conventionality, and clarity. So how clear is the language? How clear is the words? Well, what is that? That's disciplinary vocabulary right that's discipline specific domain specific right. vocabulary mm-hmm. what are the words here that are not common sense words are not common as part of our sort of like non-discipline specific vocabulary um and then the, the fourth one is the knowledge demands what is it that i need to know before i read this to understand what it's saying and if we're attending to those four qualities Criteria. Um, re- create, yeah, within a text and thinking about, well, when I look at this text, if I were to use that as sort of a checklist, to say, what do my students need to understand about these four things with this discipline in this text? Mm-hmm. I think that gives teachers a, a much more clearer pathway to figuring yeah. out, like, what, am I, what do I do with it to help my kids to read and understand this text?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's actually some of what you articulated is in one of the the resources that we're going to share, which is that there's it guides teachers to be thinking about right. what it what is the content, right. what is the topic, what are the structures, what are the formats, and to really have them engage mm-hmm. in that exercise prior to um, teaching the lesson, or even uh, prior to the students engaging in that mm-hmm. sa- very same exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's where oftentimes, as, as you were saying before, but like we take those things for granted. That's right. right? And we, because we just do them automatically, we do them sort of like they're, they're uh, way back in our brain and we have to access, it's easy for us to access them. Right. And I think that the other thing that teachers um, can really be doing to, um, to support this idea of disciplinary literacy is making their thinking a lot more visible. Right. And looking at a chunk, even just the first chunk of a text and saying, like, how am I reading this? Mm-hmm. And even even writing those things down, even saying, like, Take OK, when I write <laughs> elementary teacher. And we yes. need to model for. Our yes. Students. Yes. And sometimes this feels uncomfortable, but it is hugely important. Right. Like we need to be modeling for students and having them engage in, in observation um, and supporting them through guided reflection of like, OK, what did you just do? when you read that. What
2: did you just right, do? What
1: did you just do? Um, which is also to say that I think that um, learning logs um, or things like that are not just for ELA teachers, right? They have, um, I think, really important implications for science teachers and math teachers for them to be thinking about what are the processes I used yeah. to solve this problem, yeah. right?
0: Well, so, so I just want to pause right there because I think yeah. you're moving into the next step for teacher painting. OK, sorry,
1: reel me in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I just want to summarize where we're at and yeah. then get back into that. So from our discussion, we've kind of come up with, you know, the first step is identifying um, what are the disciplinary techniques that you need to teach. And to do this, you know, step two, you kind of think about your content Uh and working back from that. And as Roberta pointed out, thinking about this in the sense, how is the text structured? Uh What actually makes it complex Uh and unique Uh to um, start the basis of your education? So now, Uh or your teaching, excuse me. Uh And so now it sounds like the next step that we're moving in is, what are the learning activities mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we use to develop that? And I, and I think you're already kind of prescribing modeling, independent mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. and then extension mm-hmm. um, of that. So is that right? Is that where we're going?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that um, I, it was funny. I was having a conversation with a science teacher um, once about this, and um, he, I asked him, well, what are some of the things that you do when you read? Mm-hmm. And he very candidly said, I don't know. Right. <laughs> so, because he's, just, again, it's just this sort of automatic, right. you know, um, it's invisible now. Correct. So I said, okay, well that's really important. So it was almost this idea of rediscovering mm. like how you what read. What did I just uh, do? Exactly. Um, and engaging in a very reflective or reflective exercises as a teacher, um, to say, to be able to call out like, what did I do when I just read? Did mm-hmm. I underline? Why did I underline? Mm-hmm. Did I, well, science teachers, and math teachers, and Um, What they always say to me is, oh, I I solved the problem. I read Mm -hmm. to solve the problem, like Mm -hmm. to figure out what I needed to do to solve the problem, Mm -hmm. right? And that's very different than how a social studies teacher is going to read or an ELA teacher is going to read. So being mindful of those things. um, And also, I think what's really important is, um, even though you might not be able to speak to them in depth, but as a math teacher, being able to say, this is different than how you're reading in ELA, Mm-hmm. Right. What we're what we're learning here is different than how you're going to read a science text um, and being able to, to call that out explicitly for them. So that they're able to see that there are certain things that are transferable, like Roberta said, like mm-hmm. basic comprehension skills, you know, decoding, all of that. But that we're now actually creating a bank or like a toolbox um, for students to be able to say, OK, these are the kinds of things I'm doing in math. These are the kinds of things I'm doing in science, and being able to see the differences.
2: And to say that that one of those distinctions mm-hmm. is purpose. Yes, your purpose the, for the writing, right? So I, I'm thinking about it while you're talking. Like, well, but you know, going back and forth is disciplinary literacy really a thing, or is reading really that reading and writing really is the same across all content areas? Mm. But the one of the things that it that makes disciplinary literacy I think such a relevant conversation topic mm-hmm. is because the purpose for reading mm-hmm. and the disciplines while not exclusive, you would never read right. for any other purpose. Yes. But it is relatively consistent, right? So in math you are often or almost always the purpose for reading is to solve the problem, Correct. right? Um, in social studies, right, are that you're not there's not a problem to solve in a social studies text necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not reading an ELA reading the poem like when I when I pass out poems like okay read to solve the poem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now some people maybe feel that way, but that's not typically the intent. So thinking about what are these different purposes for reading, and then as a teacher, what task am I going to give the students right. to help them to a read for that purpose, right. but also Help them to develop what those skills are. I will say that is the third part of the yeah. triangle for yes. t- text complexity is the reader and the task. And so often, I know um, as a teacher, and I know many teachers who have felt paralyzed, I can't give these academic texts to my kids. I can't give my kids primary sources. I can't give my kids the actual, you know, Gettysburg Address because nobody's going to understand that they're reading mm-hmm. at a 5th grade level, they're reading at a 7th grade level. Mm-hmm. Like, it's too complicated. And mm-hmm. so our response um, has often been to shy away from complicated texts because we don't want our students to be frustrated which is a very good and powerful instinct, right? Mm-hmm. I want to protect my kids I don't want to put them in situations where they're going to be frustrated with their learning or they're going to um, opt out of their learning Experience, um, but but that sometimes has resulted in well, I'm just going to explain it to them, mm-hmm. right, 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 so that they and I'm going to put it in words that they understand. And while that banks knowledge, right. it doesn't really build skills, right, right, and so
1: or the um transference of those skills, right. or for the students to even be able to apply those skills. Mm-hmm. Right. So
2: one of the ways that I think that um, that we have to be able to consider then is if they might not be able to read and analyze the entire complex text, mm-hmm. but they can um, outline it. They could map it. They could identify the words that they're struggling with it. So the task that I give the students, what I ask them to do with the text, mm-hmm. is as important as breaking the text, the text down yeah. or the text itself. Yeah. And there are lots of ways, both both high-level and also like low-level. Um, and what I mean by high and low, let me say that in a different way. I mean there are complex there yeah. are com- <laughs> there are there are more simplistic or, or or like a lighter touch that I can do with the text where I'm not asking students necessarily to like analyze it deeply and write a big essay about it but rather to like I said um, maybe lower on the Bloom's taxonomy I was just going to say right? Bloom's like or like D- identifying D- okay, the knowledge right. or mm-hmm. summarizing or paraphrasing or I can break out you know instead of reading five pages of it I can break out a paragraph right. and do a close reading of a paragraph and sort of like putting it in my own words so I, as a teacher I want I want us to be able to embrace a, a massive amount of like endless opportunities to engage our students with text across disciplines mm-hmm. um and, and not not sort of the narrow field where I think many times people feel pressure to say, read and answer the questions, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Read and answer the questions at the back. And then that's, that's the purpose for reading is to answer the questions. Right.
1: Or unfortunately, I think, well, not unfortunately, but just again, based on the realities is that oftentimes what I've seen in um, when I've worked with social studies teachers or I've worked with science teachers is that they, they give the student the text and they say, Mm -hmm. okay, read this. And as you were saying, Mm -hmm. and answer the questions and then the students are frustrated, and the teachers frustrated because, like, they can't read it; they don't understand it. Right. When this is where the shift needs to happen, That's right? right? So it's like, and this is often why um, is that one students of
2: are. Six shifts. <laughs> yeah,
1: I couldn't tell you which one it is. Um, I'd have to pull it up to be totally honest with you. But um, this idea that um, that the students are not necessarily engaged; they're not interested in my in my discipline or my right. topic. Right. Well, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, it's because they're struggling in it, and it's hard for them, and they can't access these different texts, and so it requires a shift for us to say, yes, I'm not a reading teacher, but I can make explicit for my students how I would read this text Mm -hmm. right? as a science teacher and engage in a little bit of that before sending the student off on their own mm. to say, okay, now you read the rest mm-hmm. um, in the same ways that we've you know, worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can start
0: to answer those questions. Right? Yeah, and I'm so not going to be neutral here <laughs> and talk... <laughs> Um, from my own what experience, kind of John
2: Dickerson
0: idea. <laughs> yeah, um, and talk from my own experience because I, I'm firmly of the belief that kids are interested in ideas, mm. uh-huh. and, and for me, that's why I buy into disciplinary literacy because you are giving kids tools to access mm-hmm. ideas in a particular field. Mm. Right. So um, I taught on the west side of Chicago, uh, students coming from a lot of difficult backgrounds, mm-hmm. but I was able to get them interested in Moby Dick. Now, I know there are are a ton of people that would not read that, and and I attribute that to we spend Mm -hmm. 25 minutes on Call Me Ishmael and all the ways that that can be interpreted, and that framework provides the kids the skills that they need, Mm -hmm. at least rudimentarily with additional support, Mm -hmm. to think about that text at multiple layers, and they start saying to themselves, oh my goodness, like, this text is so rich. And I say that to lead to a bigger point about pedagogy because I think this is where this conversation is going. And mm-hmm. so I have some ideas on this, and I, I want you guys to push back or, or add on. And so there, there is the technique of modeling mm-hmm. where you can say, look, these are the things you look for, and this is how you do it. But I think there's also an inquiry, mm-hmm. inquiry-based model where mm-hmm. you do this prep work as a teacher And so maybe you underline particular things and you box particular things. Mm -hmm. You have students read that text and say, why are these things underlined? Mm -hmm. Why are these things boxed? That's cute. And have them bring out why, like, oh. who do you
2: think it is, right? Yeah.
0: And so it's not the didactic model that a lot of teachers kind of shudder when they hear because they know they don't want to engage their students that way. But it gets at the same kind of point Mm -hmm. of you know there are interesting things in this text. I've identified them for you. Why are they interesting? And uh-huh. then that can lead into a broader discussion.
2: Yeah, I think it's such a uh, such a great little example of how we can not be on the extremes of this of this issue. And mm-hmm. I think that oftentimes we our pendulum just swings back and forth. So either we're giving kids text and saying here it is, go ahead and read it, right. and we're not providing a lot of scaffolds or supports around how they should do that. But the sort of except expectation is, you know, this is the kind of reading that we have to do here, and this is the grade level, and this is the content, and, and you have to do it, so here it right. is. and right. This is what you swim. have to do on the test. Right, so. yeah, right. nobody can help you on the right. test, so sink or swim. And then on the flip side is, oh, my kids, my kids aren't able to, my kids mm-hmm. can't, coming from a place of compassion for sure, most of the time. Um, <laughs> but... But so 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 I'm so now they so they don't have to mm-hmm. right you don't have to read that let me tell, tell you what, you what it is about, right? let me give let me break it down for you let me just take notes on the PowerPoint just copy this just fill in the blanks and I'll tell you everything that you need to know so the mm-hmm. teacher um, in one sense the teacher is doing all of their work and in the other sense the teacher isn't really doing any, any of, of the work, work. Mm-hmm. and what we need to do is find these places yes. in the middle where kids a have access and the task of reading complex texts and disciplines. And also are supported mm. in the in the ways that they do that. And I'm gonna go back to like the first thing that we have to do is understand what are the ways of working with this text. Yes. How do I work with it? Yeah. How do how do my colleagues work with that? And identifying it for oneself, being able to name it and then be able then to call it out individually. I think that's absolutely has to be the first step yep, yep. because when you can name it, then mm-hmm. you can call it, you can use it specifically and then think about you how can, to teach it. You can think about how to teach it. And it's not, once you get to that level, it's not hard to think about 15 ways that we can help kids to see mm-hmm. what's important in a text mm-hmm. or where we can see um, how do we deal with vocabulary, troublesome vocabulary, or how we deal with the structure of this thing, right? Those are a lot there. That's where the teaching is fun. Right. Um, and so, it's in all of these, these those those extreme areas where it just it's it's extremely frustrating, right? Right.
0: Um, so I actually I just want to go back to this example because as we were talking I realized I just gave a general example without something specific mm-hmm. which listening to a podcast <laughs> might not make it that that tangible. So um, for instance, if you are reading with students the Brown versus Board of Education, mm-hmm. there is the line all deliberate speed right or excuse me that's brown too so there might be those turn of phrases that I underline but I also might box in um, previous cases that have been cited because mm-hmm. when I read Supreme Court opinions that's something that I see Plessy versus Ferguson right so I'm gonna box that in to draw students attention so they say hmm Why is this box in or why is that language important? Mm -hmm. I might put stars next to evidence because that's what students are going to need to look for is like, ah, this is how they read
2: the text. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And then when they go into it, that opens the discussion. I don't know if that makes my point clear, but yeah. I'm hoping it does. Yeah, I think
1: it provides a little more commentary of what it would actually look like. Yeah. Um, and to show
2: yeah. how that is a versatile strategy, right? You're giving the example that one way that I could help my kids read a complex text is that I can code it for myself mm-hmm. and not tell them what the codes are. Right. And the task that the students have is... Not so much to read and interpret the document, though that is a side impact, right? Mm -hmm. The task that the students have is figure out what these codes mean, Mm -hmm. right? Why are some lines underlined? Why are some phrases boxed? Why are some things starred? Because that process, that inquiry process of trying to figure out and Mm -hmm. solve that problem, so to speak, um, Mm -hmm. is a way that it's going to help them to understand Commonalities Mm -hmm. um, in ways of reading that text Mm -hmm. so then that they could later apply that. Mm -hmm. The flip side, right? So to tweak on that would be. To say to kids, okay, these are the kinds of things we're looking for. We're right, looking exactly. for evidence. Right. We're looking for right. previously cited court cases. Yeah. We're looking for and you know the main points. Right. And we're gonna code that. What codes should we use? We'll come up with those together. And now we're gonna practice that, right? So both ways are 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 both fantastic. They're, right. But uh, so it's not there's one way to do it. Right. There are a hundred ways to do right. it. Uh, and we can do it inductively and we can do it deductively. But the purpose, is, the point is to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Right. And that we can't just turn them loose on like, oh, we we have to read more. The kids have to read more complex stuff. Well, Here let's go. just throw it right. at them. Right. Or, oh, no, they they couldn't possibly read that. Uh, let's not. Let's hold it back or let's abbreviate it or things right. like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Christina, I'll mm-hmm. put this towards you because... Sure. You know, something we've been talking about is teachers don't think about that they have this knowledge or think about how to communicate it in some Mm -hmm. ways. And and I do think it's important to say that a lot of that also probably has to do with pedagogical training, that teachers are often taught techniques. And sometimes those techniques are content specific, but it's not something when they're teachers and they're getting professional development Mm -hmm. that often is recurring, or at least the teachers that I've worked with and the schools that I've worked in. It's mm-hmm. it's very much low level things. So if I'm a teacher mm-hmm. and I'm looking for training on this, mm-hmm. where can I go? What are some additional resources that I can maybe use to develop on mm-hmm. um, this?
1: Um, it's a great question, and I think um, a lot of my interest in disciplinary literacy um, stemmed from the fact that schools were asking me uh, to yeah. go into their um, to into classrooms and support. Um, content area teachers Mm -hmm. with increasing literacy in their Mm -hmm. classrooms right and so this is what prompted sort of my exploration of okay what does this mean or why is it important because I had to get the buy in from the teachers Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to present it in a way that um, that they could access Mm -hmm. or that they could appreciate right Um, so I think a lot of it uh, and to your point is a lot of the way that I approach the coaching work is to have them um, read texts together, mm-hmm. and to have them engage in reading exercises to think about, like, uh, to think about their own reading experiences or their own methodology. I mm-hmm. guess to to reading these different texts and to create space for them to reflect on that a little bit. Um, and to call those things out. And then ideally to discuss that a little bit more with their colleagues um, within their discipline mm-hmm. um, as a helpful starting point, right? And then um, for them to um, then to support kind of more of the implementation of this in their classrooms through mm-hmm. observation and through having these critical reflection conversations afterwards to say, like, well, how do you think that went? Mm-hmm. Like, how did students do? Um, what kind of texts are you anticipating um uh, as, as the focus for different units of study moving forward, like mm-hmm. how can we start thinking about those texts um, both in terms of their content but also their complexity and also their formats and their structures Um to plan ahead for the ways in which we need to support mm-hmm. students in reading this text. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of been a lot of the ways that I've, uh, a lot of interactive, like, hands-on mm-hmm. type of professional development to where teachers are engaging in the very kinds of activities that they'd want their students to mm-hmm. engage in.
0: Yeah. And shameless plug, Christina is more than happy to come to your school if you just <laughs> yeah. want to reach out to us at CPET. Yes. Um, and there
1: are resources, like I said, um, on the uh, the Show, show notes. notes. Um, That I've that I've provided, but there obviously are more. And I think that if teachers have like specific types of activities or resources that they're looking for, definitely reach out. Yes.
2: Yes. I think also as a new or conversation in New York City, at least it's really valuable for us at CPED and other organizations I'm sure are doing this, but to hear from teachers like what mm-hmm. what are the things that we're struggling with in mm-hmm. terms of considering what literacy looks like within every discipline and what's similar across the disciplines and and what's unique and and to hear from people about what am I really struggling with and how would I implement this? Um, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. You know, and I think we sure. can sit around, you know, here and talk about, oh, and here's how I would do it and here's how I would do it and here's how I would do it. And I know every single teacher out there in the world is knee deep in their kids and in their their curriculum and their grading and their testing and their you know, answering questions and calling parents back and so it's a luxury to be able to think about these things and to have this conversation in such a deep way. What we need to better understand is what our teachers are struggling with and mm-hmm. what do they want what do they know and need to know and want in order to hone their practice in this way.
1: What sorry I just wanted to add one thing too, also what their students are struggling with. That's right. Right? And right. and creating space for the students to, to even um, look at a text and be like what makes this text hard for you why is it hard let's right. talk through that let's yeah. identify what those things are so that we can we can work through them together
2: yeah
0: um, and so I think from what I've heard from your comments throughout something that has been Going on in the back of my mind is if I'm not fortunate enough to be at a school where administration is pushing for this mm-hmm. and creating that professional development time for this mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. This is a time intensive process, mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. we know, teachers do not have limitless time. Right.
2: What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so come on, they get
2: summers. They have all summer, Matt.
0: Oh, geez. <laughs> they only work
1: till
2: three o'clock. God. Oh, <laughs> okay. All sarcasm.
0: Yes. <laughs> going to pour one out right now <laughs> uh, but but realistically how would i find the time to do this because for me as a teacher I know I you know I wake up at five thirty in the morning mm-hmm. and I would be at the school by 6 30 or 7 then I wouldn't leave till 5 30 or 6 mm-hmm. and then I'd go home and I'd spend an hour an hour and a half to myself like eating dinner What? <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and then I'd be grading right. the rest of the night so, so where does the time for this come in or how can a teacher advocate for time maybe?
2: yeah yeah so I think a, a, a couple things are one in realizing that you have to sometimes go slow to go fast mm-hmm. and that all the time that we spend planning today for tomorrow and what am I going to do with this text and, oh, they didn't get it, so now I've got to reteach it and mm-hmm. now I'm doing it for three weeks instead of just for the one that I thought I was going to be doing. Um, a, a lot of those challenges are as a result of not being, not being able to meet our kids where they are. Mm-hmm. So when I have the intention that this lesson is, should take one day and really it takes four, it's because I, I miscalculated my students' prior knowledge or I miscalculated mm-hmm. their skill level or I made some assumptions about things that they know and would be able to do that then turned out they couldn't do. Right. And therefore, it took me longer to teach that thing and I had to reinvent my lessons every single night. Attending to the literacy needs in my discipline and and really planning those things in the forefront are going to do two things. One, they're going to save me planning time because I'm going to be able mm-hmm. to plan in advance for longer stretches. Mm-hmm. And two, um, they're going to save me classroom time because I'm not going to have to reteach go back and start from the beginning and reteach over and over and over again um but rather we'll be able to I'll be able to better calibrate my my lesson with where my students are at because I'm attending to the complexity of the task mm-hmm. and where my kids are with their reading mm-hmm. that doesn't answer a question about when I'm going to do it but I just want to say like that's why I would do it mm-hmm. right? and well, that's why I would set I, aside time to do it but I
0: think there's implicit yeah. the answer to my question in there in the sense of the idea of like less is more. Right. Like I might mm-hmm. spend more time planning for one particular lesson Sure. but I'm actually going to get more right. done yes. so I'm going to have those other days planned.
1: Yeah. And Something else I want to say, it's not so much related to time but more maybe energy mm-hmm. um, and I think that kind of thinking about this um, and, and maybe the shift that um, we've alluded to a little bit um, if we didn't call out outright, um, is that when the teachers are doing all of the work and Mm -hmm. they're scaffolding Mm -hmm. all of the content and the the sort of the nuances and the structures of the exam, that's exhausting. Yes. Right? So the idea being that... You're teaching
2: the class and taking the class. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So the idea being that if you can support students mm-hmm. with um, acquiring more of these practices or these approaches or even these skills yes. um, to reading different texts, that they're gonna be doing more of the work, yeah. right? And that they're going to be um, building stamina to mm-hmm. um, be able to tackle texts that are that are hard for them. They're going to be building community with their um, peers to be able to say, let's work through this together, right? Let's treat the text as a problem, um, so to speak, to be, to be solved, that the teachers will eventually and gradually be Able to pull back more um, to this, you know, cliche of student centered classrooms, right? But that they're not they're not exhausted at the end of the day because they've had to teach everything to their students. Right.
0: So, I mean, I'm thinking for me what that would mean as a teacher, and what mm-hmm. I what I'm hearing is at the beginning of the year there's a lot of intensive planning and energy mm-hmm. and teaching into teaching these disciplinary techniques, but after. You know, however long you've developed those techniques. So, as the course goes on, students already have those. So, it becomes really more about the content and their mm-hmm. ability to access that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it'll probably spiral your curriculum mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. revisit those techniques and ways to approach them. But I get that's kind of the sense of what you're saying. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I would also caution against sort of feeling like this all or nothing mentality right? right so so like oh now i have to scrap everything right. and replan everything mm, yeah, and yeah. think about all of the ways that <laughs> i read and write or the, i really suck and i haven't like, been doing the right no, things like no. yeah <laughs> I, I like to say like try one thing right around literacy right. in your classroom
1: that you haven't done before. Right.
2: If you try one thing you've never done before, you've increased by 100%. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> because you had zero. Right. No, and I think that's a really and, good point. And so like, yeah. try one thing. And kids, they don't learn by doing something one time. No So try one repetition, thing 15 right. times. Try one thing 10 times. Um, and then once they start to get that coding, right, and mm-hmm. oh, I realize now that I always put a box around, you know, previous, you know, around the cited sources or around mm-hmm. precedent or oh, I recognize that I'm always going to circle what the unit is in my mouth problem or oh I recognize Mm -hmm. that I'm always going to you know write down this, you know, cheat sheet for myself, uh, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you try it one time and then once the kids are showing that they got it after two weeks or after three mm-hmm. weeks, then try something else. That it does it's not all or nothing. Yes. It's and, one right. thing at a time and right. I can do it by myself right. and it will have an impact on my kids. And when I can collaborate and work with my department, you know, Matt, you were asking like what is a teacher what is a teacher to do? Yeah. You know, if they're like, Oh, I wanna try this but you don't necessarily have a, a mandate from your administrator or necessarily, right? But, but thinking poly, about yeah. how can mm-hmm. I grab my colleague who, who sits next door to me mm-hmm. or who's in my department? Can we make this a departmental focus? Mm. Uh, can we request a planning day or use a planning day to, to, to focus on this? Right. Um, can we find some texts that are out there that are talking about disciplinary <laughs> literacy? It's so like I can be educated myself about what it is that we're trying to do. Um, but I think asking for it... I,
0: Teacher agency, beautiful thing. Yes,
1: yes. But I think also, too, like I love this idea of just trying one thing or committing to trying mm-hmm. one thing. And so maybe that's even just incorporating this learning log thing, right? So at the end of every lesson, we're going to just do a little bit of writing of like, what did we learn? Mm-hmm. What was what was hard? What was easy? What were the processes that I used today? So that they can start to document their learning. And then that becomes a resource to say like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at all of these things that I've been learning. Look at all of the things that we've yeah. been learning together um, rather than just you didn't get it. Right, mm-hmm. so that there's a celebration there to be mm-hmm. had, um, and I think one other point I want to make too is just that um, you know this idea of identifying the skills and the, the literacy practices that are unique um, or um, uh, specific to your discipline can help um, create. Um, less of an emphasis, like it would, it would create less of um, a need to teach content and skill, content and skill, content and skill all the time, right? That mm-hmm. you're establishing these skills and practices that now the only thing that's changing is the content, that's right. Right? right? And I'm not having to every single time teach right. a new set of skills and right. with a new set of content that they're able to now access the skill, right, and use it to um, approach a, a, a new content or a new unit of study or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, yeah. so...
0: So we're winding down on time here. Yeah. And so final thoughts on disciplinary literacy, whether the social implications, whether Mm -hmm. the classroom implications, um, words for teachers who are thinking about this or maybe not on board, what's one thing you would like to kind of leave out there?
2: So I was just thinking about this. (laughs) (laughs) So as we were talking, Christina, I just thought about – this sports analogy which I'm not a sports person but I I think that this is going to (laughs) ring I I hope that this rings true but like there is a certain amount there are a certain amount of skills that are across many sports Mm -hmm. so for example athleticism athleticism right running you know throwing a ball these are these are skills the athletic skills that are across children learn to run Mm -hmm, yeah but not all children are are football players and the kind of running that you do in basketball Mm -hmm. is Still running, but it's different than the kind of running that you do in football or Mm -hmm. in cross country or in a track sprint Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, in soccer Mm -hmm. or football. I think that that's similar to sort of like literacy across content areas and disciplinary literacy, that these generalized skills around athleticism, the running, the throwing, right? Yes, those are things that everybody who's going to be an athlete, you know, needs to know and be able to do, and that goes across sports. And then once you have those, right, you can run, you can throw, you can Mm -hmm. have hand-eye coordination, um, you can block, for example, right? That's another Blocking in football is very different than blocking in basketball, yes. and that's very different than yeah. blocking in soccer. Yeah. The concept is the same, and if you don't know how to block, you can't do it anywhere. Mm-hmm. But once you get into one a specific sport, there are a set of ways in which we're building more nuances onto those skills, right. and those skills look very, very different um, from one sport to another. And I think <laughs> if we could look at it that way, it would yeah. sort of like, you know, kind of crystallizes it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's and not our, bad. Our, our, our sports expert. Yes. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who line. knew? Um, okay. Anyway, Christina, final thoughts.
1: Um, I guess just bringing it back to, um, you know, where where I started, which was in elementary school education. I think I'm thinking a lot about kind of like where where this shift um, starts to happen, right? Like, should we be thinking about disciplinary literacy, like, at the second or third grade level, you know, Mm -hmm. especially because, again, you're the the primary teacher, right? You are the teacher of all subject areas. And so it's difficult sometimes to, um, even as a teacher, to code switch, Mm -hmm. right? And to be a sort of expert of all of these disciplines, right? So I've been thinking a lot about, like, where where does this become a little bit more important? Mm -hmm. Where does Mm -hmm. this become a little bit more critical, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think it can start In elementary, um, for sure, I think that we can start to talk about, like, okay, how are our subjects different, right? Like, what do we do in science? What do we do, boys and girls, what do we do in science? What do we do in ELA? What what are you doing when you go to the science lab? um, As a way to, like, set the foundation of, um, you know, what disciplinary literacy looks like Mm -hmm. as you increase um, in the grades. Um, And I think, too, I would just encourage... um, Uh, teachers to really be thinking about it because the implications are, um, and this was referenced a little bit in the beginning of our conversation, but that students are navigating through five to six Hmm. different subjects a day, Mm -hmm. and it requires a code shifting that Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we take for granted, or maybe it's just not at the forefront of our thinking, um, but that it is, I think, really, really important. Um, and to be able to call those things out and to call those specific um, skills or techniques or dispositions out um, it is going to lend really well to better supporting our students and being successful in these different
0: disciplines. So, Awesome. Um, I guess for me, the thing that I really think about is kind of the social utility mm-hmm. of being able to use these different disciplinary literacies in students' everyday lives. Um, we live in an age of information, mm-hmm. and it's coming out faster than we can vet the sources. So students have yeah. to be able to vet for themselves, whether it's a science report, whether it's a new history book, or yeah. something that comes out that's the next great American novel mm-hmm. and kind of contextualize, well, what does an American novel mean, right, mm-hmm. and apply these analytic skills um, to that. And I think that's necessary, and I think we've had a trajectory in American education of literacy being something that's used for particular gains for a society, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think what we're seeing now is this is truly an opportunity to empower students mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to really determine what knowledge is good for, what mm-hmm. literacy is good for, and, mm-hmm. and I think that can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that can't be understated. So, mm-hmm. so that's what I'll leave. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, Just to- thank you for having me. <laughs> and a uh, quick reminder that you can find uh, in the show notes, we'll have a uh, New York City uh, Department of Ed's Guide to Disciplinary Literacy along with Christina's documents that will help you with your planning. Please visit our website, cpet.tc.columbia.edu, and tune into our next podcast. Thank you. Send
2: us any questions. Yeah. yeah
0: that too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.